Hi Chris, how are you? Good evening Rod, all is well. It's nice that we're both back in the same, I was going to say the same country, but technically we're not in the same country. No, we're not in the same country. One of us is in Wales, one is England, but the same the same landmass. There you go. The same landmass. Let's go with that. I always like the line out of Ted Lasso. How many countries are there in this country? Four. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. And frankly, if we got down to it, I'm sure Cornwall and some other bits and pieces would quite like to go off in their own direction too. Yeah, they'd be happy to make up numbers five and then six and seven. Yeah, absolutely. The, the breakup of the UK beyond Brexit is on the cards, so who knows? Here we go. Anyway, should we get into it? So it's episode 79 and it's the 2nd of August and it's 2023. It still is 2023. Not that much has changed. Should we do some follow-up? Yeah, let's dive straight into it. And I think you're up first. I am up first. So just before we, I think, recorded our last of our summer specials, there was a little bit of news came out about Van Moof. And for podcast listeners, I was very excited to get my Van Moof bike, and then I got one, and Chris fancied one too, and they released some new models, and all was well in the world. And then, on about the 7th of July, maybe the 18th of July, it was announced, and we've got the article in, in the show notes, that the Van Moof bikes are bankrupt, and I found this personally distressing in the first thought. And then, the more I actually started thinking about it, from my bike in particular, the more distressed I got, really. So, uh, did you see this story? Yeah, I saw the story and I was really surprised because they seem to be a company that everybody respected the design. I've seen quite a few around, not a cheap product, you know, and I'd hope that they built into their product, you know, that there'd be some longevity in the business. So I was, yeah, proper surprised by this one, but obviously you never know what's going on behind closed doors. So go on, t- talk us through your why, why are you concerned? So, I mean, there's there's probably a lesson here for all of us. I mean, and I should step back one little bit and say that they're in administration. They're not actually folded up the company yet. They actually released a firmware update this week for the bike. So not everything has stopped in Van Moof. But in Dutch law, apparently, when you go into this, what happens is government agencies or appointed agencies by the government will come on and see if there's anything can be done with your business, that it could be sold on, that it could be brought back to life, that there may be the possibility of a restart of them finding alternative funding and getting up and running again. And as you said, Van Moof is quite an established country. They've worked, been in Holland for a long time. They make an awful lot of bikes. Certainly the time I was in Amsterdam, I think every second bike I saw was a Van Moof bike of some sort from the earlier models to models that I was waiting for at that time. So they're huge, they're well-run, they're well-reviewed, but they have this reliance on technology. Unsurprisingly, we've talked about technology on this podcast quite a lot. And what is really quite important about this bike, your car, my car, and other devices that work like this, are that they rely on the company being in business to run a server. So when you do something as simple as unlock your bike, there is a server there sitting at the other end waiting for that to happen with authentication keys for your bike, and your car key and your phone or whatever it is you're using to unlock the thing in order that it unlocks. So in Van Moof's case, this means if the company went under tomorrow, most people would be in the situation where they couldn't unlock their bikes. And that's frankly mind-boggling for a bit of transport, isn't it? Yeah, it's unreal. And I guess I hadn't really thought about it because with my, my car, I don't use much of it. I use lots of CarPlay. But when I get into my car, obviously I unlock it with my phone. I use the you know the the computer in it obviously powers CarPlay and obviously I'm guessing there's a lot of talking back that go, goes on and it knows when I get into it, it says welcome Chris and that all obviously comes from the vendor so you're right there is a lot of inherent services happening in it and obviously most people don't like paying for subscriptions or services so that is a problem because they're, they're on, they've got an ongoing running cost 
that if they've not factored it into selling the one-off hardware device, like a car, a bike, that starts to unwind, I guess, pretty quickly. It does, and we saw this with BlackBerry. The company more or less went out of business. They stopped making people like keys and certificates and things like that, and even perfectly workable pieces of hardware that would still work with a SIM card in them had reached an age where the company wasn't able to keep pushing out all the various security tokens that the mobile phone networks were happy to leave them on the devices. So they bricked all the Blackberries. End of story. No more classic Blackberries. Done. I think the Android ones may still work, but they weren't really made by research and motion. So the case with the bike is, while the company is in this sort of administration, still kind of working. I can't unlock it. I cycled it to work yesterday. It's all working fine. Like I say, they actually pushed a firmware update as well to make some of the gear changing stuff a little bit better. So... To the ignorant user, which I suspect is most of the people who have van move bikes, because who, who looks at this stuff really? Everything is well, the company's going along, they're not getting the parts and replacements but you know, and, and fixes done if they send them back to the manufacturer, because that's done. But the electronic side of it is currently still working, but that may go away. So it's been interesting watch, watching what's happened as part of this, as a couple of apps have popped up to let you download your, authentic, your PGP keys effectively for your bike and your certificate. So in the worst case scenario, we may be able to home host a server end for our bikes and continue to unlock them, which is great news in a way. I, the bike won't become a very expensive locked thing taking up space in my garage. Great, but it's still not great, is it? What, what you'd want to happen, I think, is that the company gets bought by uh, the, a rival like Cowboy, who's another Dutch company who makes e-bikes, and manages to maintain the software services for these and maybe makes parts or, or however these things go. But it is a bit of a worry in our increasingly connected world that these kinds of things can happen to a hardware purchase like this that could potentially stop happening. And on your point about car keys, it happened to Tesla not long after I bought the car that one of their servers went down and nobody in the UK could unlock the cars with a phone, with a key, be the website, anything. So it's just sitting in the car park for two hours while Tesla sorted out their servers to get it up and running again. We know that Elon's not the best at keeping servers up and running and mucking around with software and things like that, but it, it's a startling glimpse of what's to come potentially, isn't it? Yeah, Elon is a bit cavalier, I think is the right word with things. So what am I thinking? Will anybody that isn't techie though know what to do with these things? You know, with the PGP key and all of that. I'm, I'm not even sure I would know. I'm sure I could find out and could get through it. Would the best thing not be for you not to lock your bike and use a padlock, like a very untechy solution? Like a normal person, yeah. And that's possibly what I'd do. I think if there was a step saying everything's going to shut down tomorrow, I wouldn't lock the bike. At the same time, at the moment, it's one of the reasons I bought it is I've got this clever lock built into it and of course I've got the service Apple Find My built into it as well. So if that stops too, I'm kind of knackered really and yeah, I could lock my bike and it could get pinched and maybe at this stage I should be trying to get it pinched, you know, so I can replace it with a, you know, a slightly less smart e-bike. But I, I'm very upset because I really like the bike. It's nice to ride. It looks still looks as beautiful as the day that I got it. It's well engineered. It's thoughtful. It's fast enough for me. All the things I bought it for I'm really happy with. It's just, it's a bit of a wake-up call to us, those of us who like to be on the edge of sort of technology and things like that. And I bought this for design in the same way I buy my Apple products for functionality and design. And for that, we put up with a certain amount of, I don't want to call it oversight, it's not the right thing, but let's say taste, was what Steve Jobs would have called it, from Apple, that they know best in some ways and don't worry your pretty little heads about it, just get on and it's designed the way it is. And no, you can't make that button yellow and you can't do that, you know, make put some weird skin in your operating system because that's not the way we want it to happen. And that's what you assume is going to happen for something like that. So it's it's just a little bit of a 
Oh, that's very disappointing for me, really. It is, and all the reasons you've listed, you bought it, were probably the ones I was looking at. And what appealed to me is that, oh, it's a bit different. It's a bit techie, and I like a bit techie. I do like the name Cowboy, by the way, as a bike company. It sounds kind of cool. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Hopefully, say somebody like Cowboy will step in, make the acquisition, and I guess ultimately keep everything going and use the brand, maybe. But it's, it's a shame because I really like Vermouth. I like the concept of it. I think the design stood out, and I like the technical piece. In a way, I'm glad I didn't buy one, but I feel sorry for you because you haven't had yours very long. Yeah, and about two and a half grand potentially on this thing that's not even a year old, and that's 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 a pain in the pocket. That's that's a new MacBook Pro or you know a, a decent holiday somewhere. You know, it's it's a fair chunk of change at the it's, end of the day. It's a lot of money, isn't it? And you think all the time through COVID, I was waiting for the thing. All those orders were racking up. You know, I'm not the only person that wanted a van move. All the tech websites were pushing them. Lots of people were after them, as you say. You've seen them around the place. I saw them in Boston. I saw thousands of them in Amsterdam. That's quite a lot of money. All those two and a half grand times thousands is a lot of money. So there's some serious financial mismanagement going on there. Yeah, it, yeah, it's really bad cash flow management they've done there. It'd be interesting to see if any of that ever comes out. Well, we'll see what happens. And, you know, Cowboy, the company, have actually released an app for the older version of the Van Move bikes, the S3 and the A3, I think it is, where an iPhone app in beta that you can download that will actually download these keys for your bike. So those people on the older models of bikes have a fairly straightforward way of doing it. It was a little bit more difficult for me with the newer version of the bike. But let's see what happens next. And like you say, it may be that this turns into a good story. Van Miff are reborn. They go on and they continue to make great looking and great working products. Or they get bought or they just go under. So it's, it's one to keep an eye on. So also in the show notes, there's a couple of links to how else you could download your bike keys if you're in the same position I am. And just it's worth keeping an eye on the story, I think. It's a shame, isn't it? It's a shame when an innovative company struggles like this. It is. You know, you look back through tech and companies have been bought and gone away and brands we really respected. Compaq, for example, if you were to go way back in the day, were a very well-respected computer manufacturer. You know, they, they merged with Hewlett-Packard. Hewlett-Packard won. Compact was never heard of again. And you've got this sort of burning timeline, effectively, where some of the best-known brands just go away. BBC Micro, Archimedes, you know, all, all these brands looking back over time that were such strong products at the time, they do go. Yeah, no, it's a shame. Well, let, let's keep an eye on it, and hopefully we can come back to it, and there'll be some good news. Maybe uh, Cowboy, like you say, will find a solution with the administrators. Yeah, hopefully. The second bit of follow-up I've got, and I don't want to talk about this in any great depth, but you and I have spent a fair bit of time on this show talking about LLMs, which are things like ChatGPT and others. Ars Technica published a very good article explaining, in, a, in not a scientific way, but quite an understandable way about what an LLM is and how you've come to that point. So I just think it's worth reading. If you're in any doubt when we start going on about these kinds of things, what we mean by that, what the technology is behind them and how they're used and how they've come about, it's well worth a read. No, it does does look quite good, actually. I've had a quick skim through it earlier, and I'm quite interested in this. I've been to a few conferences on AI recently to see how it will impact the workplace, and interesting to see a bit more detail around what Microsoft are doing with Copilot, especially in the enterprise, where they obviously want to charge you to use it and keep all your data within your enterprise. But um, that looks a great article. Yeah, the thing is, for someone like me, is it's just statistics. AI is just statistics, basically, and that's all this is again. And, you know, we've been doing these kind of inferential learning for, for quite a long time in, in, in my in my world. So, but the practical application for things like this is, is still fascinating and can be a little hard to wrap your head around. So it's a good article. Yep. Should we move on to news? Because I've got no follow-up. 
Fair enough. Well, we'll have to keep an eye on that. I'm sure there was some piece of follow-up with your Apple TV and con- continuity camera that we need to revisit at some point. Oh, you're quite correct. I haven't really tried doing a FaceTime call and continuity camera actually working. It was broken in a few betas, but I think we've had a few updates since, so I can cover that. I, I suspect that given my continuity camera wasn't working on my beta phone with my, my production operating system is that it's probably still broken and I'm relying on my MacBook's camera at the moment. So I, w- I won't chastise you too much about that. Should we jump into the news? Let's do it. Cool. So we've got some rumours because we haven't met for a couple of weeks now face-to-face despite our careful planning beforehand. And I just thought three of the most interesting ones. One about the iPhone. I mean, we've got some givens about the iPhone. We know we're getting a USB-C port this year. We're almost certain it's going to be more expensive this year. But there's some rumours of new colours and who can beat a, a rumour about some colour? Is this the Pro model getting new colours or the regular model? Well, both models are rumoured to get a new colour. So the iPhone 15 Pro is going to come in crimson. Now, is crimson product red, do you think? If it comes in a nice vivid red, I'd be interested. If it comes in a washed out red, I'd be a bit disappointed. All the Pro colours have been quite washed out up to this point. The green, the blue. I got to think it'll be a watery, you know, almost pinky red maybe. Yeah, I've never gone for them. If I'm honest, I've had the graphite, I've had the white or the silver as they call it. I'd be interested to see it, but I think people are screaming for a bit of something different. Yeah, and I'm with you. It should be a bit more vivid. And why should the product red only be confined to the the normal iPhone? Why not allow it on the pros? Get a bit more money, they'll get a bit more kickback for product red. It seems a bit crazy to me. Agreed. And I always used to buy the product red cases because I love the way they look. I think it used to be a really good red. Yeah, I think we had an iPhone XR in, in product red and it was a great looking phone. I really liked it. Yeah, no, it does look good. So red for the iPhone 15 Pro and a new green colour for the iPhone 15. I don't think we've seen green on that with this purples and yellows and all sorts of things, but I don't remember. I think you're quite right. They did green like on the 12 or the 13. I can't get excited about green. I'm sorry. It's close to brown. (laughs) That's fair enough. I got to say, I think I'm with you and we've talked about this before. More colour is a good thing. Make the MacBooks in in different colours as well. Make them some bright, nice bright colours like they do the iMacs. And again, the iMacs. They're a beautiful colour on the back. They're a very muted, boring colour on the front. Make the whole damn computer that colour. I want the orange one, but I want the the bright, vivid orange everywhere. I think that looks fantastic. Yeah, the the, the pink looks look, looks great. You know, the silver is it's just silver all around. Why not make the rest of the colours match with the bezels as they do with the back? I'm, I'm there. I'm sold. I would love the bright orange iPhone in that iMac back colour, please. That would do. Yep, fine. So, new colours, whoop plus the things that we know that are coming. Second rumour, and this is another Ars Technical article, is that Apple is potentially going to release a monitor that stays on when you switch off your Mac, with the point of it being some sort of home hub. Mm, I can kind of see it. And I'm just saying, hmm, because I don't know. I mean, I use my Apple screen in my shed, and obviously when I'm not in my shed, I don't really want it to be on consuming power. But I can kind of see the appeal. What I don't get with it is, why is there not an Apple TV remote magnetic on the side like you used to get on the iMac and it's because it's got all the gubbins of an Apple TV why can't it do Apple TV and you I don't know you double click a button on on the remote and it puts it into the Mac mode you know so you can use it as just a regular display that that's what they need to do with it merge those two products especially now FaceTime's on the Apple TV (laughs) theoretically yeah I'm with you this is a niche and a niche as far as I'm concerned Apple monitors are a niche for people who, you know, want it, are going to drop 1,500 quid in that. Most people will go and buy a 200 quid Dell and stick it by the side of the computer. Drop at least 1,500 quid. That's their cheapest one. Yeah. 
fair, fair point. So you drop 1,500 quid on one of these things and it doesn't do anything when it's off. In fact, it never goes off, does it? It sits there on all the time until you turn on the thing. You know, it's a computer at the end of the day. It's, it's running some variant of iOS behind it all. It's got no power light, so how would you know? Hey, How would you know? So I, I don't really know how that works, but I love my Apple screen, by the way. It is a premium I'm happy to pay for. Oh yeah, they're they're great screens, and I have been in some Apple stores. More on that later. And I've seen a lot of XDRs around, and they're beautiful screens, beautiful big screens, both the studio display and the XDR. But the whole niche of a niche thing, where you turn the computer off and it turns into a home hub. I've got an iPhone, I can do that from there. You know, I've got iPads, I can do that from there. I could theoretically shout at Siri and get it to do. It. You're not going to walk back to your computer in your shed with your off computer parked next to it just to turn on your home hub. And I suspect the people that would want this kind of functionality would actually want it in their iMac. Oh, hang on. HomeKit is built into your iMac, isn't it? So I don't get it. Do you think this is a conflated rumor, maybe, that they are doing a small HomePod with a screen that's got a lot of this tech in it? I don't know. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe the future of the HomePod is actually an Apple Studio display because they've got the speakers in it, it's got the screen, it's got the camera, but it just needs the OS for that smaller screen with chunkier buttons, which is what standby is on our iPhone, I'm guessing. So maybe they just need to merge all that into one and out shoots a new home home pod screen. Fair enough. I guess we'll see what comes, but it's it's a bit of an odd one, isn't it? So they, they we'll could see. they could call it the home pad. <laughs> they could. Did that roll off the tongue? I suppose it's no worse than... HomePod doesn't roll off the tongue, does it? It doesn't sound right. It's too sharp letters, I think. I don't know. It just doesn't sound very happily. And there's a lot in that space. HomeKit, HomePod, you know, HomeHub, HomeBridge. It's it's a bit messy down there. Agreed. Good. Moving on, and this feels like a fairly solid rumour for me that Apple are reportedly prepping a second-gen AirTag for launch. AirTag's great. I've seen them in lots of places. In America, they were every, everywhere. I noticed people had them on their dogs. People had them on their you know, car keys and house keys and all that kind of stuff. Uh, there's another rumor that they're, they're selling an awful lot of them. So an updated one that's a bit faster with a bit more features in it. Why not? Longer battery life, etc., etc. Yeah, feels like a no-brainer. I got to say, I can't complain about the battery life. I've, I, they lasted a year from the, the, the new ones I'd had, and the, the ones I've put in have just kept going. So it, it's a good product. I like the fact you can change the battery, and it's not just dead, like some of the tile trackers I had back in the day. Fair enough. Fair enough. Anything else on rumors, or I think we've got it? I don't think so. I don't know if we covered it, but apparently the AirPods Pro 2 are going to get a USB-C case later on this year. I assume when they bring out a new iPhone, they just swap. Swap the case out, probably be the same product, but you'll be able to either buy a new set or get ones with a different case. Fair enough. And then hopefully the keyboard. And, and I was I was talking about this at work today, actually, that I turned my my Magic Mouse over to spear it and give it a charge because I'd been on holiday. It was down 11%. They really need to fix that mouse. Or you just buy the Logitech MX Ev- Anywhere, Everywhere mouse, which I love because you can have three channels on it. So I've got one for my PC, one for my iPad, and one for my Mac, and I use it on all of them. It's fantastic. Fair, but you can't do three-finger swipe on that. Yeah, there are some limitations on the iPad when you do it, especially when you're using it on an external display and you can't just touch the screen to do a swipe. Yeah, you can with a magic mouse, but I, I don't like the speared turtle thing. I have to resort to the trackpad on my laptop and it's elevated and away from me because I'm using it as a desktop computer. So okay. come on, come on, Apple, sort it out. And it's not an ergonomic mouse anyway, the magic mouse. I've got issues with it. I use it, but I've got issues with it. I do wish their device did multi-channel Bluetooth. That would work wonders for me. Fair enough. Anyway, moving on. 
news from the Mastodon world that the BBC, so a big corporation, has launched an experimental Mastodon server. There's not much on there at the moment. You can follow BBC R&D, you can follow BBC Radio 4 and a couple of other channels. I think it's good that news corporations are beginning to look into Mastodon to disseminate this. Because all we hear from the company formerly known as Twitter is an increasing toxic hell stew of what's going on for journalists and, and a sort of a swing to more trolling behaviour there. So I think it's quite good that companies like the BBC are at least experimenting in the, the Fediverse. Yeah, BBC should definitely do this. Like, have your own server, own it. That's what it's for. And all your reporters can have an account at BBC. So if they leave you and go to ITN or a rival news organisation, they don't take their online identity with them. They go go and create something fresh. I think this is a great use of it. And if everybody does open up like threads to the, oh, what's it called? The Activity Pub framework, where it doesn't really matter where you publish to, you, you can all be interspersed. Then this is a no-brainer, surely. You can really own it. I was watching the news the other day, and the lady reporting had at her name, you know, and it didn't even say Twitter or show the bird or show an X. It just said at and her and her handle. So it'd be interesting to see how that's all going to work going forward. Yeah, it is a bit strange, that. One thing I did think about this is that I, when I was looking at on the server, there were a few people going, I don't want my news from the BBC. It's a horribly, insert bias of choice, left wing, or it's a horribly right wing, or it's you know it's too biased an organisation. And they were going to defederate the BBC server. They weren't going to allow that into their activity pub for, for that. But that's the joy of the Fediverse, isn't it? If you're on an instance that doesn't want something like the BBC on it, and you control that for your four mates that are on your Mastodon instance, you can defederate it and you'll never see it. Great. But most of the big ones, like .social and like .scott in my case, are allowing that linkage to the BBC. And I think that's the joy of this kind of universe. You can find a community you're happy with and ignore the ones that aren't. And that's you know, definitely one of the benefits to Mastodon as far as I'm concerned. No, I'd agree with that. I do worry a little bit. Are we going to end up in a world where we've got threads, X, formerly Twitter, Mastodon, Instagram, Blue Sky, Sky, any others here. And are you going to go on, you know, going to watch a news article and have five different handles for the same reporter because they're going to end up at a position where they just publish the same thing everywhere, especially if some of them don't participate in activity pub. So it's going to be interesting to see a year from now, are we in a better place or a worse place? We will see. Time will tell. But it was always a bit weird in one way anyway that you'd have a Facebook handle and, and, and a Twitter handle as was. Why put yourselves inside of those wall gardens? It's it's quite limiting in a way. So at least the Activity Pub Fediverse model will work with threads. And you know, much as I dislike Meta, I think they've they've taken a bold choice by doing that. And we'll see where it ends up. I did also see, and we don't have a story about this, that the hundred million users that Thread signed up, only half of them have come back more than once, almost instantly. Yeah, I mean, I deleted my account. I've had a look. I've then left. I don't disagree with that. I think a couple of things on that. I think people have had a flirt with it, see what it's like. But you need to get critical mass on there to get people coming back. You need some celebrities transitioning over to it. I think if they play the long game, it will come. They know what they're doing. They've gone and got Facebook into big markets, taken over the world with it. It'll be interesting to see how Threads plays out. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see where they go with it. It's just not for me. I do think... Meta did a great job of their rebrand, though, which is only something I've really realised. Like, the parent company, Meta, owns Facebook and WhatsApp and Instagram. People know it's owned by Meta. It's kind of worked. Whereas Google, when they became Alphabet, it didn't really work. That Alphabet was the, the parent company of all these brands. So on that note, I was just putting Twitter 
into our thing to talk about because obviously we're talking a bit about social networks and obviously Twitter since you've been on holiday is now called X but only in some places and in other places it's called Twitter and it's all a bit bizarre and feels like somebody's phoned it in over a weekend rather than actually coming up with a proper plan to rebrand and migrate to a new name. Well, as I was watching this story happen, and I can't remember, I was in San Francisco, which is the home of Twitter, as this was going on. It was just unreal to me that over the course of a weekend, he decided he didn't like it and he wanted to rebrand the company X. And the logo seemed to have come from some user on Twitter who'd found a font with X in it, which it's not a particularly standout logo, I got to say. This feeds into Elon's obsession with X. So we've had X company was a thing he tried to launch. I think PayPal or his part of PayPal was called X before that came along. He obviously has the Tesla Model X. He wants this to be the X app. So it's going to be everything like some of the Chinese app, like WeChat and, and, and Line and some of those where you do your banking in it, you do your shopping in it, you do your social networking in it. People can track very carefully what you do because you're doing it inside of one app at that point, obviously. And this is the way he's pushing X as it is now to go. I saw that he tried to rip down the Twitter signage outside of the headquarters and was stopped by the building landlord. He tried to put an X up on the outside of the building and was stopped by the Twitter land by the building landlord. So just the very basic out in a weekend, as you said, rebranding of a product. It's just it, it it's Twitter in a microcosm or X in a microcosm. Poorly thought out, lash out with an idea, fails and then commit to it anyway and sort of try and push it through. It with no fundamental thought about how that's going to happen. So I saw today that Linda Yaccarino, who's the CEO, CEO that Elon's allowing to make all the decisions, changed her Twitter handle to be something else for an Ask Me any t- Anything kind of thing. And while they changed her handle, a bunch of people logged in and took the Linda Yaccarino account and started tw- tweeting. For, uh, sorry, it's not called tweeting anymore. Posting. Posting. So, so they're that incompetent that they can't even do that now. Everything just feels a bit startup-esque, I think. Just a couple of points. One, you mentioned PayPal. When Elon was there, we tried to rebrand it. That's why Elon ultimately got forced out. There's a link in the show notes to it because he he wanted to rebrand everything as X for some weird reason. And other people on the board were like, well, no, this is too associated with the adult industry. We don't want that. PayPal's got brand cachet. Why would you change it just for the sake of changing it? Which I, I, I do get. I think... It is bizarre how they changed it to X in certain places. But also, where we are now from where, where Twitter was a year ago, why did you spend, was it 44 billion, 22 billion? I can't remember the number. 44, 44 billion. But why did you spend it on Twitter? Because some of that number was obviously made up with the brand, the number of users, you know, the experience. And then you've just undone it all in over six months. You'd have been better to go and set up a new company and start afresh. It just seems a very bizarre way of going about it because surely the only thing left at Twitter was its identity and now that's been eroded. I believe the X is the Unicode X out, you know, so it's not even, like you say, all that of a logo, but just feels very half-baked. Yeah, bizarre. And like, I was following a van to work the other day and it had the Twitter logo on it and their handle. And like I said about the news report, are people now going to put X's everywhere? It's all a bit strange. I just don't think, I think it's a change that wasn't really needed. I see why Meta became Meta they were trying to distance themselves from Facebook and go, we are a group of products. But I don't see why Twitter's just moved to X. It just seems a bizarre change. Twitter could have been this everything app that Elon wants, but just call it Twitter. Yeah, it mystifies me. I did. I attended a webinar yesterday and one of the participants, the presenters, had already changed their slide deck from Twitter to X. I thought, well, that was quick work. 
very few people will be in a position to do that. I'm sure most users will still refer to it as Twitter. And, you know, there's a story we were going to come to, but we may as well talk about it now. I didn't realize Apple had an ex it wouldn't allow apps that were only one letter. So you couldn't have the A app or the B app or the C app. But they've made a special exclusion for Elon to have the X app and rechristen the X app to Twitter. And just before I, I'll let you jump in on that, I've I had at least two stories of people who have turned on their iPhones, seen X on their home screens and deleted it, not realizing it was the Twitter app. They thought they'd been hacked. Wow, that's not good. It's interesting that Apple and Elon slash Twitter slash X seem to have some special relationship. It's a bit bizarre. I don't like it. I'm with you. I don't like it. There's there's, there's some hold on each other going here because they fell out, didn't they? Apple was going to stop doing advertising spends on it. Elon went to the company and then all of a sudden they were friends again. So I genuinely don't understand what's going on there. No, it feels a bit icky. Mm, it's, it's not what we want to see from Apple, is it? And I'll use my favorite word again all this embedded and shitification that's going on on all of these platforms, it, it does worry me. And and again, X is a prime example of this, isn't it? Just because he's got a childlike fascination with, with the letter X that he's obviously had since he was a very young man. And now you can go out and you can get, an, presumably, what was a Twitter blue account is an X blue account. Could that sound any dodgier? It, uh, none of it sounds good. Why blue now? Blue Blue's meaningless. That was the Twitter color, but... I don't know. It's all very bizarre, and I'm quite happy I've left Twitter, to be honest. Yeah, I don't miss it at all. And for all those people when Elon bought the company saying, oh, we've got a sense of optimism about this, you know, new breath, it's going to clear out what's become quite a stale company, all the rest of it. How wrong were you? Yeah, you could scarcely be any more wrong at this point. No, absolutely nothing else. Have we got anything else to say about X and our, our continual amazement in its slide into awfulness? The only thing I'm going to say is you go to twitter.com, you go to about and then it goes, go to x.com and it just takes you back to twitter.com. Because <laughs> I thought, I wonder what their about page says these days, but clearly nothing. That's amazing. I don't even visit the site anymore. I've got no interest in it at all. No, I haven't been on. I was just what you were talking about. I thought, actually, I wonder what the homepage looks like. But you can't even see tweets now without logging in. So I'm done with it. Should we move on? Because it's a bit sad. Let's move on. Should we rip on Microsoft for a bit instead? Awesome. So what's going on with Microsoft then? So there's a bunch of stories come out from about Microsoft while I've been away, and I've been I've sort of tracked a couple of them. I've gone along. The sort of first one is that within the Senate, Microsoft has been blasted for its negligent cybersecurity practices, and apparently this stems back to uh, a key or a token that was stolen by some Chinese hackers that gave them access to a lot of Azure Active Directory accounts, so they're able to sort of freely wander around in amongst lots of, you know organizations like the Senate and NASA and the CIA and universities sort of email accounts and things like that. So, and they've been very quiet about it. There's a couple of stories on it, but this relates to their lack of ability to keep things like this secure. It's not good, is it? And I thought to be fair to Microsoft, I thought they'd come a long way in their security posture. The certainly the messaging I'm seeing on the corporate side, the home user sides, they've really improved, I think, people's perception of them. Because obviously you and I will remember back in early 2000s, you'd buy a computer, you'd put it on the internet and within minutes it'd be infected with stuff and malware and it was just a horrible experience. And I think to be fair to Microsoft, they had really repaired their their brand, their image of using a Microsoft device online and it actually being a lot more secure and they've done a lot of work on it, I thought, and generally done a lot of very clever things and made the right noises. But this... Yeah, this doesn't feel right, does it? It doesn't. And The Verge say this quite well. So the initial thought was this 
access to this key was giving more than US government email. It was only giving US government email inbox access to, the, to this hacker group. I'll read out the paragraph. Incredible as it sounds, and it really does deserve wider coverage, someone somehow obtained one of Microsoft's internal private cryptographic keys used to digitally sign access tokens for its online services. With that key, the Snoops are able to craft tokens to grant them access to Microsoft customers' email systems and, crucially, sign those access tokens as the Windows giant to make it look as though they were legitimately issued. So they were able to issue legitimate keys to access how many services we don't know. Yeah, and there's a lot of people with their email all in Microsoft's cloud. And if you can just go and give yourself access to it and make it look like it was just Microsoft doing some help, support, routine checking. Oh, that's an amazing backdoor. And for them to be downplaying it as if it's not a big problem, when it's clearly a massive problem if questions are being asked in the Senate. And you know, we're not hearing a lot of news about this. It's taken you know a little bit of digging to find this stuff out. This is not a good look. This is a potentially absolutely massive hack. If you think of, you know, you and I corporately both have Azure Active Directory accounts that we log into our, our, our systems with. Yep. You know, a, a large UK university and, you know, a, a large corporate, you know, a, a large company in the UK in your case. We're small beans in this compared to what else is out there. And we are tiny in comparison. We have 5,000 employees. They all have a Microsoft account. If Microsoft goes down or gets breached, we're in a whole world of hurt. As is our university, as is almost every other university in the UK. And ooh, what about the NHS? Ooh, and they've already been burnt badly in the last decade. It starts, it's, it's a lot of big corporations. You know, a lot of the FTSE index will be on it. A lot of private companies will be on it. Because Microsoft have done an amazing job of gaining critical mass and continuing well, to provide some stellar services, to be fair. But this is a big risk. But it's contingent on the trust in the company. And the problem is, they're of such a scale. It's not like we've talked about this before. The cost of getting out is too big. You know, you can't just walk down the road to Google because they're no better. You can't just spin up your own things anymore because you're relying on cloud-based services for everything. And Microsoft Azure provides a lot of that. It's, it's a really potentially sticky problem unless they come very clean and they manage to walk back exactly what was damaged and something like this. It can cost a lot of faith in your in your company. But, but what's the alternative? There aren't really alternatives, as you've you've said, like you could move to Google, but they're going to have the same issue a few years from now. You know, there'll be something that will blow up. And I don't think com companies have the skills in-house anymore to run all these services because engineers just don't learn half these skills unless they go and work for a Microsoft or Google. People just don't run their own, you know, email anymore or services. And nearly everybody does it in the cloud because it's so convenient to do it. Well, I'm just going to, well, I think we're, we're horrified enough, but I'm going to sign off with this final thought from The Verge. Additionally, applications that use local certificate stores, of which there are many, or cached keys may still trust the compromised key and thus be continually vulnerable to attack unless you update your silo every day. Wow, nobody's doing that. Nobody's doing that. So potentially there's millions of hacked services and servers out there already. Not good, not good. I think well, we should move on. What a horrifying story. We've got uh, some good and, news yet. Oh, not yet. I'm just going to tell a little bit about your favourite application and your choice of the week a couple of times. Is the EU has formally opened its antitrust investigation into teams bundling things within it. I think it's too late. I think Microsoft have won critical mess. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what to say on this one. Microsoft uh, Teams I do like. We use it a lot. It's much better than, for me, Google Meet or Hangup or whatever it's called. It's so good. It's so much better than Skype for Business ever was. People generally like it in our organization. It's quite interesting just seeing regular users' feedback on it. 
And I've said it before, they keep updating the iOS apps. Landscape got announced this week and came out for the iOS iPhone app, which we haven't had for years, but for some reason that's that's now come out, seen the light of day. They are slowly iterating on it like you want an app to be, like it was a independent small company doing it. Microsoft have got that iteration into the Office apps lately. It's really bizarre. They also added spatial audio. On the Mac to Teams. Yeah. So they, they are I mean, doing things and they are adopting Apple-specific technologies. I just want the webcam piece to come to the iPad for it because then I can use my webcam on my screen and not the one on my iPad. So I think they are, I think Microsoft is doing a fantastic job at the development of it. I think they've already won critical mass, whatever the EU say now about unbundling it. doesn't really matter. Yeah. The ship's well, well, yeah. Fine. And people can install it, but that was the thing with the browser choice as well. The people should be offered a choice of Zoom, Hangouts, Slack, whatever else, rather than it just being in the operating system. And, That's true. you know, Without being too hypocritical, Apple do the same thing. You get Safari, but we know that that's going to get pulled out as well. So I think it is imp- giving users the choice. that There will be users out there who don't realize there's anything other than Teams because that's what comes with it. And, and that's the problem, isn't it? You need to go. Teams is a chat, video conferencing, collaborative working app, but also Slack, but also Zoho Office, also whatever else is out there and give people a few choices. I think, look at what the browser choice did. Chrome and Firefox, well, Firefox particularly, definitely benefited from that and they're walking back on that at this stage so they have such a dominant position that is at risk as we've just discussed that they need to make these choices available to users because as it gets worse and freer and they add more advertising and they push increasingly towards microsoft products only or whoever is the most cash or has hacked their security certificate i do think they need to think about this stuff and be made to think about this stuff because it's they're in a position of too much power as is apple as is Google, these choices should be made available. Yeah, agreed. Like when you get a new device, there should be a pop-up, which maybe they serve from a website. Here's all the browsers you can have. Here's the three or four most popular ones. Same for the chat apps. I have no idea how Teams is fair they're outside of corporate land. I don't hear much about it in the, in the personal space. Well, I know the NHS uses it because it comes on all their computers. So that's just what they use. They view it as, as secure. We, whenever I speak to people within the NHS, that's what they have to use. It's easy for a, a sysadmin because it comes with a computer, doesn't it, etc. So they've got, if you think of the NHS as a large embedded desktop install, that's tens of thousands of desktops, isn't it, You know, across that organization. you know, Our relatively small organizations of a, a university and yours of five to 6,000 users, plus I've got, we've got the same again in terms of students. That's a lot of desktops with teams built into them that's dead easy for a sysadmin to manage. But you know, alternatives are available, and other universities and other organizations do get on quite well with Google or Soho or whatever else it is. So it is possible for these things to interoperate but it's not in a platform vendor like Microsoft. I mean, look at how well FaceTime's taken off, for example. Yeah, true. It's a fair point. You know? So it's worth thinking about. Speaking of, while we're on the topic of ranting slightly about big companies, have you seen this piece by Google to effectively add DRM to Chrome? No, I had not, because I don't actually use really any Google products or services. I barely use YouTube, to be fair. That's fine. So they want to add rights management to Chrome. And this is a potential thing on the roadmap. It's not definitely going to happen. It's called Google Web Environment Integrity. And effectively what they're saying is you must use a version of Chrome, of which there is Edge, which is technically a Microsoft product, Google Chrome, Chromium, the Arc browser I was using for a while, Brave, things like that are based on Chrome. And they're saying potentially, unless you use one of those, it will be invalid to browse to websites without that. So 
we won't allow you to look at google.com unless you're using Chrome. We won't allow you to access your Gmail unless you're using Google Chrome. And I think that's a real world of hurt about to happen that will fundamentally break the open web as we know it. Yeah, I don't like the sound of that. I I was hoping you were going to say it's going to force you people to maybe choose the more recent versions and make sure they're updated. And, you know, because that, that is one thing that Chrome does very well, obviously. But that's what, what is the point of this? What's this doing? Well, it's, it ensures people use their browser. The problem is, as we've talked about before, Chrome is a huge install base. If you took all the variants of Chrome as well, you're over 85, 90% of the market. Firefox, Safari, let's face it, Safari is actually a standout here because mobile Safari is very has, has very good market penetration. But Chrome and Chromium-based browsers are the majority of the market. So you think of the power Google has in the ability well, of what websites they'll allow you to access if they build something like this into it. Yeah, I mean, we saw it work because I remember making the decision, do we just ship Edge on all our PCs or do we add Chrome in? I was against Chrome, but the users said, you know, we all really want Chrome. So we, we did go with it because it is so prevalent out there. You know, they've done an amazing job. Lots of users know of Chrome, want it because, I don't know, Mike, Google have done an amazing job of, of I guess, dealing, dealing with the home market and then that's brought it into the workspace. Yeah, I mean, users want to use what they're familiar with, don't they? But uh, the, the fundamental endpoint of this, I think, is quite dangerous. So as a reaction, I've ditched all the browsers I was trying and I'm back on Firefox because I think you, you need to show a certain amount of independence of the Chrome browser. And I'm just one user, but I, it, it worries me when, as we've talked about already with Microsoft, when you get one company to this level of dominance, they, they can start to inflict standards on the open web. To, you can't access a website just because of the browser choice you've made. We're very much back in Microsoft land and Internet Explorer and, and where we were. What are we now? 30 years ago? Mm, less than that, but significantly in the 20s easily. I don't know. When was the antitrust, antitrust case? It's got to be late 90s, about 25 years ago, I would go with. You reckon? Um, Live Googling's always fun. Google along with Rod. It'd be a good name for a podcast. For me, it'd be uh, duck, duck, go with Chris. Duck, duck, go with Chris. I, you should, we should need some hold music while I do this, or you need to tell us about something interesting. I've even got my kids music. on duck, duck, go. So uh, even they, they don't even use the term Google. It's fantastic. Why don't you call them duck, duck, go, go, dad? It's like, yes, 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 you will. They're not going to get pointed at in school, are they? Because the odd ones out. Well, they were because my eldest didn't have an iPhone or a phone and all of his mates had phones in the last year. So uh, he's now got a phone, though. That's the news of the week. My... I've, I've relented. He's got a phone. It's been quite interesting seeing how kids use it. But because FaceTime's built in, they're FaceTiming each other and they've never done it before. It's quite interesting. That's exciting. Well, here's the thing. On DuckDuckGo, if I search for Microsoft Original Antitrust, I get nothing up. It's all about current fi- antitrust things that they're facing. So maybe it's just a forgotten memory for, for the web. Aren't DuckDuckGo friends with Microsoft, though? Because don't they use, like, Bing Maps or something? So maybe there's... <laughs> They used Bing under the surface. I'll, I'll let you make a little note in the show notes that that's for Rod's follow-up for next week. Brilliant. Okay, so I thought that was interesting and I thought it was worrying, so we're more on the worrying side. This is what happens when you go away for a couple of weeks. You read the more worrying story. Let's have a good news story. And We've talked about them before. We've talked about Fairphone and we've talked about Framework who make repairable laptops. The Fairphone 3, which is one of their relatively modern devices, Fairphone have committed to giving seven years of updates for the phone, which I think is just a phenomenal commitment to the device. That is good, actually. You know, that that's the kind of phone 
you want to buy your mum and your dad that don't really care what phone they've got. They just want to know how to use it. And you go, look, I know I'm going to give you this and it's going to work for seven years. Because part of the problem I've had giving them hand-me-downs is when the hand-me-downs stop updating to the latest OSs, it's like, oh, they're not going to get all that stuff. So I think that's fantastic. If you, if you could do, if Apple did a phone that goes, right, it's going to last seven years and you can swap the battery on it, tick that's a no-brainer yeah. to buy isn't it for, for people like that or, or probably not children because they always want the latest stuff but definitely for the older generation that you just want them taken care of for a long enough period yeah and this phone will do that seven years of software updates you can change the battery if you break the screen it's relatively easy to use a repair of the screen as well and all right it's a bit chunky it's got big bezels it's got a fingerprint reader on the back of the phone which is a bit old school as well but frankly this was a phone that came out in 2019 it's going to be supported through till 2026 I think that's terrific. Circling back to Van Moof, though, you've got to hope their business model is in better shape because, again, it's going to rely on their servers, that company being in business. Oh, absolutely. But that's true of any... I mean, I'd, I'd expect that more in the phone market with the exception of maybe Samsung, Apple, and, I don't know, pick another one, Huawei. Huawei went away effectively, didn't they? Google? Yeah, Google, I don't trust their commitment to devices. No, that is a problem. They do like to kill things. They kill things, they kill products. If you think of the, what was the very popular tablet they made, Nexus 7, you know, that what, a little tablet, it was about the size of what a Kindle is these days, the smaller Kindle. They, the various attempts at getting tablets up and running, I don't trust Google's hardware. It's fair. That is fair. They've got form, haven't they? But no, and it, frankly, it, this is the free phone making the right noises. Yeah. And frankly, given their software at the moment, I'm not sure I trust the software either. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm just not a Google advocate. I don't know why the company just doesn't gel with me. Fair enough. I think we're our, our suspicion about large corporate America is, is bothering us at the moment. There is Apple, speak, speaking of large corporate America, has released a new beta for iOS 17. Have you got any news on that? Yeah, so I couldn't remember if when you went away the public beta was out, but there's now they've now had two iterations of the public beta. I think we were saying to people this is probably the time to start getting on it. The, the beta seemed really good. I don't know what more to say on them. It's coming out in September. There's very little coming out in the betas. It feels like we're where we would be a month from now towards the tail end. You know, it's really boring, incremental because normally the beer updates come out and there's still some big changes going on, some of the UI is moving around, you know, and new features to test. But it all seems pretty stable. I think whilst the iOS 17 era updates are largely not very exciting, other than interactive widgets, which... I think are very good. I think there's they're a great round of updates, especially on the iPad when the other apps start supporting being able to use additional cameras. You don't need to use your iPad camera and the changes they've made to the multitasking. It's, it's all really good and really solid. So we'd recommend people update. Yeah, I've, I can't really add anything to that. My biggest problem with the beta was the keyboard bug where you'd go to type and it would pop the keyboard up over a text field when you were trying to type in it. That's been fixed in the latest beta. The only outstanding issue I've got is my Sonos app doesn't work on my phone, so I can't play music through that. But I can I can shout at my Sonos and get it to play stuff. Which is more I've than you can do with your HomePod. That is very true. I've turned them off, in fact. Oh, yeah, you have, haven't you? So I think they're very good. And also, I've, I've put the TV one on all the TVs. And my, even my children are like, oh, this is good. And like they've made it easier to go and look at who's at the doorbell and stuff. You can just pop up the screen i think they're just really good updates and there's just some great little quality of life improvements also on the 
Apple TV, when you use any of the menus now, when you you know you used to get like a little drop down menu and things, they've made all that interface better. It doesn't take over the whole screen. I mean, like when you install the software update, rather than it blacking out the screen, it just pops up in the middle and go, do you want to download or install? So there's just some really nice, but quite minor quality of life improvements, but just polish the OS a little bit. So yeah, the Apple TV, especially for me, that that's been super useful and it's on all our devices. Fair enough, I've still only got it on my phone on my iPad. I barely notice any changes on my iPad. It just works, and I'm not going to install it on my Mac. Yeah, that's fair for now. Yeah, the podcast would become more difficult for a start. Yeah, agreed. Let's not do that just now. Something about a screen time bug. So I thought this was me going a bit crazy. My kids have screen time. So screen time is where you can, you can use it on yourself or you can use it on your family to restrict how much time you spend on certain applications. So with my children, I have it set so that example my son who's just got a phone nine o'clock at night comes his phone you can't do anything with it other than phone myself or my wife or send us a text message i mean he's he's 11 he's not like he's going out at night if he was then that would be different but it's just so that he has screen downtime there's he can only play games for half an hour an hour a day kind of thing at the moment because you just don't want him sat on his phone all the time but there's a bug where occasionally that all the settings that you set up for your children just gets wiped out which is fantastic. Apple have finally admitted it. I've seen this happening a little bit over the last couple of years. So it's been going on a while. I don't think Apple had really admitted it. but Because I thought it was me going, I thought I'd set this up for my son that he couldn't do this or he could do this. So it seems like that's just a bit iffy. But Apple have acknowledged it and hopefully it's coming in as a fix. But it's still there in iOS 17 betas that we've just discussed. That's a nasty bug. It's not good, is it? Especially if you lock your kids down because you don't want them trawling the internet and Safari or sending emails or whatever it may be. No, that's a bad one. It's not good. Good. We've gone long on the news a bit, but I think that's all right. We've had some stories to talk about, which is a good thing. Yeah, and obviously we've, we haven't done news for a couple of weeks, so. Fair enough. Should we do some media? Yeah, I think we. I know we've got a bit in media, but I reckon it'll be quick. I reckon we'll be reasonably quick. So first up, have you done Oppen Barbie, Barbenheimer? I've done neither. I really oh. want to go and see Oppenheimer, but it's three hours long. So I'm struggling to fit that one in. And it's always harder when you're trying to go with some friends, I think, because you're trying to work around everybody's schedules. So I haven't seen it, but I really want to go and see it. But my wife's been to see Barbie and she went with a friend and really enjoyed it. So I have done Barbenheimer. I did a, I did Oppen Barbie is the way around I did it. There was a little cinema in, where was I, Banff in Canada. Oh, I've heard uh, of that. That was on Race Across the World. There you go. So I've been lovely little cinema, lovely independent thing. Not about four screens of about I don't know, eighty people each in each screen. Good sound, nice screens. Here's the thing: no advertising before the films went dark. They had their own little thing about turn the turn your phones off. Bang straight in the films. Oh, I want to go there. Can I get a ticket was, to Canada? It was amazing. And keeping in that line. Oppenheimer was absolutely brilliant. A bit mumbly at the start, I think it's fair to say. Quite hard. You sort of got to click into their way of speaking and, and, and that. Chris Nolan has form on mumbling in films. I was going to say he had form because wasn't it Bane in The Dark Knight, the Dark Knight Rises that his speech was just too garbled for people and they had to redo it before it, I think before its main release. I think it was like preview audiences. Yeah, and Tenet could have been, had that leveled at it in a couple of scenes as well. Just a bit mumbly. Yeah. Yeah, so that, but then, fine, get on with it. Amazing cast, very great great visuals. Robert Downey Jr. has never acted so well, I don't think, i got to say. And, of course, Killian Murphy and others knocked it out of the park. You know, Florence Pugh, who I wasn't expecting in it, and Emily Blunt, all absolutely terrific. All the supporting cast were great as well. Very, very impressed with Oppenheimer. Great film. 
Nine out of ten. Nine out of ten. Was it a family viewing or just yourself? The three of us that went, the three of us watched it. Oh, fantastic. And and did the other half of your family agree? Yeah. Yeah, they did. And the, ne- the next day, we went back and watched Barbie, which I'll give eight out of ten. It was also absolutely excellent. The cast is even more insane. You know, anybody who's ever anybody has appeared in that film. And have you seen the Netflix series on Sex Ed on Netflix? No. Nope. Pretty, much, pretty much all of that, including our new Doctor Who, including Rob Brydon pitched up at one point, who I was not expecting in a mainstream Hollywood movie. Fantastic. It was terrific. Good story. They kind of bang you over the head with a point a bit, but frankly, I think it's a point worth making. Great film. That is interesting because my wife's been to see it and then we were in a supermarket the other day with the children and they saw the Barbie stand and I was like, what's this Barbie film all about? My wife's like, it's not really a children's film because it is a 12A here in the UK. I don't know a lot about it, but I I don't know if I want to see it or not, but now you've given it an 8 out of 10, I'm a little tempted to see it. Maybe maybe I'll catch that when it comes out and I can watch it with my wife. I mean, it's a proper comedy. It's laugh out loud funny in places. Good, I need one then. Yeah, it's it's good. It's worth watching. Okay, whilst you were talking, actually, you reminded me, I have been to the cinema. I've been with my 12-year-old son, and we watched Elemental, which is the latest Pixar film, which hasn't seen much light of day. It's done by the people that did Inside Out, which my son loves. He was really keen to see it. My younger son didn't want to see it. He wasn't bothered. He doesn't like some of the Pixar stuff where it's a bit out there. Like, my youngest didn't like Soul. He couldn't assimilate with it wasn't his bag whereas my eldest really enjoyed it but we watched Elemental great way to spend two hours of my life fantastic what was bad was all the adverts all the trailers then a short film and then Elemental the feature film which was already an hour and 40 minutes long so it was a long time even before the film started I think if you had younger children they're just not reading the room here like kids just want to see the main main attraction but no, would would recommend if you enjoy a Pixar film more modern, like a Soul slash Inside Out, then you'll probably enjoy this. It was really well done, and some of the things they thought about because it's all about different elements basically, and how they shouldn't mix like fire and water being people. But no, fantastic. So there you go. Yeah, now you've mentioned. I didn't know what you were talking about when you started talking about. I have seen a trailer for this, and I, I got to say, it didn't draw me in. But I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's good to hear that Pixar still have got it. Really, it's good. If it's not as good as some classic Pixar. The, for me, I, the one I really enjoyed of recent times was Luca. That was, for me, the best Pixar film I've seen in a long, long time. And I did really like Lightyear, but I know it got mixed reviews. But I do like a Pixar film. It's For me, I will go to the cinema for a Pixar film, and I love it because I can take a child with me. Fair enough. Moving swiftly along, I just want to give a, yet another shout-out to Taskmaster being such a wonderful thing. I downloaded a bunch of it to my iPad. For a 10-hour flight, it's just what you want. Something brainless that you don't need to think about that hard to get you through a 10-hour flight. And it did. And thank you, Taskmaster. Whilst you were holiday and we may have watched the entire Series 15 bleeped, we, my son can remember who won Series 14, so we went, went and watched the final of that. And we're halfway through Series 13 bleeped. The bleeped versions are fantastic. I just like watching. It's great to be able to watch them with my children. And they love it. They think it's just fantastic. So we are, yeah, plowing through a lot of Taskmaster in our house. It's a good bedtime activity, like just before bed, have half an hour on the couch, watch a bit of it. We may watch a whole one or we may just watch a couple of tasks, but they really enjoy it. And the bleep versions, it all kind of works. Even I find it quite funny. The best bit being in series 13, and I don't know, I, I meant to go back and watch the adult version, but Frankie Boyle brought a prize in and they just bleeped out the whole prize in the first round. So I, I don't know what it was. I think it was something to do with Marvel or Iron Man or something. But I was like, what did he bring in? I guess it was a picture of them doing something 
dubious. But I just thought it was fantastic. So it's, it's still funny, even though you're not hearing the words, but you're just seeing seeing the bleeps. So that's that's brilliant. I don't remember it being that bad, but Frankie Boyle does swear a lot. He is Frankie Boyle, so mm. you know, I'm I, glad you're enjoying it. The boys really like Frankie. They thought he was fantastic. Fair enough. Foundation season two has started on Apple TV. I think episode three is available from when it came out. I know you didn't watch the first season of Foundation. The, it's good. It just keeps getting better. And again, stellar cast, great performances, amazing visuals. That shiny Apple look we've talked about so many times, taken to the nth degree. Fantastic looking show. Well scripted, well acted. Watch it. I need to watch Foundation and Silo because I, I want to give them my proper time and attention. I think that's fair. So fair they enough. are on the list. Fair enough. Downton Abbey. I watched the whole of Downton Abbey. All six seasons. <laughs> Which I was partway through before you went on holiday and I, I might have binged it a little bit. But actually, do you know what I've, I've worked to what Downton Abbey is? It's like, for me, it's Ted Lasso, but in the 1920s. Because there's always a moral and there's a story. And it's it's kind of Ted Lasso-esque, I would say. It's not funny, but there is a moral. And they're usually trying to, you know, do the right thing, I guess, is, is the right way of saying it. I actually quite enjoyed it. I'm glad I watched it. Basically, I listened to Hugh Bonneville's autobiography. He obviously referenced Downton a lot because that's been massive for him. And I just felt like, I really like the guy. I should go and watch it. So I've, d- I've done that now. So I'm good. You know, I've, I've seen it. I'm good. I haven't seen the films yet. I was trying to find out somewhere I could watch them or oh, I might have to buy them. But anyway, that, that was it. Fair enough. Glad you enjoyed. Hijack. I'm carrying to carrying on to watch Hijack, but I don't really know why, because I think it looks beautiful. There's some great bits in it, but the plot's still rubbish how they just let some guy randomly walk around the plane a little bit and mess everything up. So it's interesting, but I just think there's too many plot holes in, the, in just the execution of the story. I think the concept's really good, but just needed a bit more bacon in the oven, I think. Anyway, there's a new one out today, which I'll go and watch. Fair. I've only still only seen the first two. I didn't watch a thing about hijacking when I was getting on planes a lot. Yeah, no, that's fair. It might, might set you on edge a little bit. Or you, or you pull it on, and if you're sat next to me that isn't your family, it might just not be good for them. Yeah. Not great. Stephen Curry, underrated. Actually, it's Stefan Curry, I've learnt. Oh. But it's written Stephen, but he pronounced it Stefan. I don't know. And this is a basketball player in the US. Apparently, he's not a very tall basketball player. He's only six foot something. But just super interesting just how he came to prominence using loads of archive footage. And apparently, he's one of the most amazing basketball players, which I know nothing about basketball. I'd like to know more. It's a shame it's not really a thing in this country. But just a good documentary on Apple TV+. Plus. Okay, never heard of it. Just one of it. It's an hour and a half time commitment. Great just to, yeah, learn something new. Okay, cool. And lastly, Bankrupt Billionaire. <laughs> yeah, Bankrupt Billionaire. So again, about an hour and a half on Prime about this billionaire that was in Ireland. Just ended up, started inquiring in, ended up doing insurance, had loads and loads of companies and buying land and property and ultimately got bankrupted because he ended up buying shares in one of the Irish banks and stuff. But just super crazy how like one guy ended up with such an empire of a business but ultimately a lot of it came crashing down around him but yeah really interesting again probably like the Stefan Curry thing quite enjoy a real life documentary that's about an hour and a half long I I think for me I, I too much gets pushed into TV series I'd like to see more documentaries of an hour and a half long rather than it being a whole series about somebody's life I think you can do a good job in an hour and a half if you really polish it and, and both were very good I thought very interesting Fair enough. Good, good recommendations. Anything else in media? 
Oh, I finished the morning show as well while you were on holiday. I quite enjoyed it, but I think I'd left too long between watching some of the episodes and, and the different series. But because they're doing a third season of it, and I got partway through season two, it's still well done and has the apple shine. I thought there are, it is good, and uh, I really like Billy Crudup in it. I think I've said his name correctly. Yeah, he's good. He's fantastic. I, I gave up on the morning show after two episodes. I've no desire to go back. I, I don't know. Quite kind of liked it. Can't explain why. I am on the third season of Succession, though. It's good. I love it. It's good. Yeah, it's good. It's, like I said, when, once I, I got the whole peep show angle to it, I got it. You just reminded me of something else. I've watched a lot of TV. I've, I can tell. On Apple TV+, Plus. I've also watched the Beanie Bubble. That's a film. It's a film on Apple TV+, Plus, about two hours long. But it's got, is it Sarah Snook that's in Sarah Snook. Succession? She, Shiv. She, she, yeah, Shiv. She plays a character in this. So the Beanie Bubble is all about beanies, beanie babies that were made by the Thai company that have like the red heart on it. You, your daughters may have had some when they were younger. And how they basically sold millions and the guy became incredibly rich but was incredibly eccentric. All based upon real life. Uh, it's about two hours long. Obviously, it's a fictional real life show, but really well done. Would would recommend watching it because it's quite interesting because I had no idea how big Beanie Babies were in the late 90s, basically. So would recommend. I remember seeing the logo. But I, as soon as I saw the logo, I was like, oh, I recognize that. I, whether my wife had some of them or my kids, I can't remember, but really good show. And Shiv was fantastic in it. I thought she is a good actress and kind of made me want to go back and watch Succession, if I'm honest, for the third time around. Fair enough. I am enjoying it, I must say. Okay, is that it for TV? Yeah. Good. Okay, let's move on to games. And very short, I haven't played a lot. I just There's a couple that have sort of caught my eye. The first of which is Monkey Island, which we've talked about on this podcast before, specifically Return to Monkey Island, which is the newest Monkey Island game. only came out on PC earlier this year. It's now available on the App Store. It's £9.99 to have it. It's a terrific game. It looks fantastic. Ron Gilbert, the writer of that, is 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 the programmer of that. is is a, a good presence on Mastodon. Has been around in the industry for a long time. He writes funny games, and this is one. I think it's ten quid well spent. So link to that in the store. Have you seen this? I ha- I haven't seen it on the iPad, but it is also on the Nintendo Switch. Okay, so Steam, Switch, Android and iOS, and I'd say if you've never played one, pick it up, it's good. I notice it's got a 5 point, five out of 5 star rating on the App Store as well. That is good. Yeah, it's good. So that's worth a look at. The second story for me is Ridiculous Fishing. I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. It's back. You can go and you can download it. This is a Zach Gage game. It is Ridiculous Fishing. It's an Apple Arcade. Also worth a look if you played it to begin with. They've updated the graphics. looks terrific. My daughter played it for about three hours on the plane on the flight out to San Francisco, so obviously does something right. Yeah, he, Zach Gage is fantastic. So I admit there's some good games, which probably ties me nicely into my games updates. I've actually taken threes and all the games off my phone because I was just binging time on my phone. And I was like, it's just not a good use of my time. So I've, I've gone game free. I've be- Whilst I watch a lot of telly, I've barely played any games. Fair enough. I did download Slay the Spire Plus as well, which is also an Apple Arcade. So just I've got the trif- you know, the, I've got Owls of Slay the Spire with me, and I played a bit of that on the plane too. So I can't, I can't not have that on my devices. Fair enough. Good. That's it for games. That's it for games. Should we do a little special main show about a bit of a pilgrimage? I made? Yeah, let's do it. I'm, I'm super interested to know how you got on. Okay, I, I, I'm depending on you for questions because this, this will take about thirty seconds otherwise. So while I was in San Francisco. It was my birthday. We talked about this on this podcast too. So as a sort of special treat for myself, I decided that I was going to take a day in San Francisco in my limited time in California 
to actually go down to Cupertino and see what the story was down there. So there's other things I could go into here about like using SIM cards again, so I had NAV and, and all this kind of stuff while I was doing it. But the first part of the trip was the desire to go from downtown San Francisco is not simple. Public transport in America is not good. And when I looked at how to get a bus to Cupertino from the middle of San Francisco, it was a three and a half hour bus ride with ch about seven changes of bus. Wow, that sounds like that's just an epic failure waiting to happen. It, it's not great, is it? I thought Silicon Valley is where everybody went, so you'd think there'd be easy ways to get down there. You'd think there'd be infrastructure. Because you often hear about not, people straight out of uni getting jobs in Silicon Valley, maybe don't have cars and stuff, but wow, that doesn't, that's not what I was expecting. But then I guess the company puts on the bus from where you live and they want you to stay in the place, so they make it difficult to get out again. So maybe it's all a calculated plan. Yeah, they don't want you going home. They don't want you going home. Anyway, I hired a car. So from the center of San Francisco, I jumped on the train to get back to San Francisco airport. I hired a car there. I picked the manager's mystery special, which isn't a thing I've ever seen in, in a UK car hire thing. So the, the, the rates were about $100 for a day's car hire. You could have this or that or a truck or a four-wheel drive or da-da-da-da-da. And I went, oh, manager's mystery special. I, maybe I'll get something like a Volkswagen Golf and I'll be happy with that. And I got there and the guy behind the hire desk looked at the European and went, what did you think you were getting? I said, I don't know, something like a Golf. He said, you've got a Ford F-150, which is the massive double cab truck thing. Oh, cool. And he said, and he said, you don't want that. And I went, no, I don't want that. He said, do you want a Tesla Model Y instead? I said, that'll do me nicely. Oh, I'd love the F-150. They're vast. Have you seen the size of the things? Yeah, it'd be a pain to park because American cars are a lot bigger than European cars. And American trucks are even bigger again. Yeah, fair point. So being as I didn't want to get into an accident driving on the wrong side of the road and, you know, in, in, a, in a part of the world where there are notably crazy drivers anyway, I went for the car I was familiar with because the Tesla Model Y is a Tesla Model 3 just with a hat. It's a bit bigger. Yeah, it just stretched it all. And it was great. That worked great. I didn't need to charge it. It, it, it. There's lots of them in California, unsurprisingly. Lots and lots and lots of Teslas in California. So the three of us piled into the car and we made a bit of a trip down to Cupertino. And the first place I went was Steve Jobs' family home. Ah, so the famous garage where, where Apple started. The famous garage where Apple started. And it is a residential street in a very quiet, sleepy place with a Starbucks around the corner. With somebody's house now, you know it's not it's not like a museum or anything. It's it's somebody's house. So I hopped out the car, took a very, very quick picture, got back in the car and drove off because I felt a bit bad about random photographs of some poor person's drive. What what did the family think about going to Steve Jobs' house? They were fine with it. I think they quite liked the contrast of how busy California is, and Cupertino was quite a long way, as as you'll get from my sort of the scheduled bus ride from the center of San Francisco. So it was a good hour and twenty minutes drive down the motorway, really, just to get to to Cupertino. It's not an easy thing to do and it coming off the busy sort of freeways and all the rest of it as you, as you get into at the time of year and given all the sort of crazy temperatures in the world at the moment and increasingly warm in california the further you got away from san francisco the warmer it was getting outside you know death valley temperatures were up over 55 degrees centigrade at the time we were there so you know it, it, it was warm and i guess if you've been traveling busy airports da 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 then actually having a break from crowds and people is quite a nice thing it was quite nice. So it was a nice sleepy little suburb. Like I said, there was a nice Starbucks over at the corner with actually a retirement community. So we stopped for iced coffees and, uh, you know, there were lots of retired people just talking about their dogs and things around us, which was quite nice as well, actually. In the madness of this is this was the birth of the personal computer for many people just happened around the corner from here. So I quite enjoyed that. That was quite cool. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Sounds nice. 
Yeah, and, and from there, I sort of, in chronological order, I thought, well, the next place you've got to go and see is Infinite Loop. So Infinite Loop, for those that don't know, and you're listening to an Apple podcast, so you probably do know, is where all of the original, once they had enough money to actually become a corporation, they moved into Infinite Loop. I think the Mac, the Apple II money gave them the ability to move into those offices. It's called Infinite Loop because there's a road, that's a circular road that goes right around the building effectively. And you've got a number of one Infinite Loop, two in Infinite, Infinite Loop. And various parts of Apple were based on there for a very long time until Apple Park came along. And what's special about Infinite Loop is it was they had a store. They had a store even before there were Apple stores, I think. And it's one of the few places where you can actually get Apple merch should you go into the store. And they sell distinctive T-shirts, mugs, and water bottles are sort of the additional things that you can get in, in there. But a lovely little app store, very friendly, very approachable. Infinite Loop itself was up for refurbishment, so there was a bunch of sort of screens up. You couldn't see what was going on there. But it was the classic place that you've seen pictures of lots and lots of times sort of if you're an Apple fan. Okay. I'd love to go. I would really love to go and see it because you've seen bits of it. I've looked, you've, people, have, you've seen it from the sky, you've looked at it on Apple Maps. But it'd be interesting just to see the whole place. And in a way, Infinite Loop looks a bit disappointing from the outside because it's not that innovative a design. Obviously, it's of an era. It's lasted very well, to be fair. And the name is awesome. Yeah. And it's 10 minutes away, possibly less, from Steve's childhood house. So you all kept quite local. And did, did the family take any interest in this? They, they, I think they were appreciating my excitement as much as anything else. They, they sort of they were living in the moment. The humour, yeah, yeah. And again, I think they were quite glad to go to San Francisco. Fair enough. And is it because I, I, I know Apple Park is just near lots of houses, basically. So, but is it is it the same for Infinite Loop? Is it quite residential, and then you suddenly just have a you know a, a, an office complex, or or is it actually more officey commercially? It's more commercially sort of around the corner. The way they sort of zone things in America, we get like, an, it's almost like SimCity, isn't it? You get a, a residential strip and a commercial strip and an re- industrial strip. And there wasn't much industrial strip around there, but certainly the commercial thing, there were other shops and things around it. And, you know, it was it was pretty much as, you, as you've seen it from the pictures as much as anything. It's, it's what you were expecting. There was good car parking. You know, it wasn't that busy. You could, you could stroll in and out. There was a couple of police cruisers just parked sort of outside of it as well. So I don't know if they get... The special attention from the police for being such a big important business that they've always got a cop on hand yeah maybe and was it did you go on a weekday or was it a weekend weekday so was it busy with apple employees because i don't know how big infinite loop is now I mean, it's significant it would take you a good 20 minutes to walk around it, i guess oh, okay because and but i don't know how much it's used i guess they've got some departments there i guess I mean, they are the largest company in the world, right? And even though we don't see that in terms of software output and hardware output sometimes, yeah, they've got a lot of employees, I think. Huge number. I just wondered how busy it was from yeah. what the field was like. It, it, was, it wasn't that busy, frankly. I mean, the, the Apple Store, there was us, the three of us, and there were two other people in the little Apple Store that's sort of just to the right of the main entrance. So while there, I got a water bottle and a T-shirt that I don't think I'm going to wear. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's one of those things. It's, it, it was a $40 t-shirt. That's more than I'm willing to spend on a t-shirt normally. But as you can't get them in normal Apple stores, I think it's quite nice to have the merch off to one side. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, really. You need to frame it or something as and hang it up in your office as a memento. Yeah, it's probably not a bad idea. I might do that. So having been to Infinite Loop, I thought, well, you've got to do the trifecta, haven't you? So we drove to Apple Park. So the flying saucer, which we've seen in the various videos and things like that, and you know, it was one of the last things Steve and, and Johnny I've worked on together, as far as I'm aware, that they wanted this new office building that would get give Apple a start in Cupertino. 
It similarly was about a 10 minute drive from Infinite Loop, so 20 minutes from where Apple was born. It is in a residential sort of zone, as, as you said. It's entirely fenced off the, the main office complex. So you can see sort of hints of it over trees and things like that as you're driving towards it. And then off to the side of it, you've got sort of sub complexes. So there's offices and things like that outside of Apple Park as well. But there's a very impressive Apple store at just outside of Apple Park, which is a viewing area for the, for the, for the Apple complex itself. So you can go up to the top floor of this thing and look at it. And I think I sent you some pictures while I was there. They've got some, they've got a main Apple store in the middle of it, which is also the only other Apple store in the world where you can get merch. So if you want to get a t-shirt or, or bits and pieces like that, and it's different to what's in the original Infinite Loop one. So you know if you've got one from Apple Park and you know if you've got something from, uh, from Infinite Loop. That's quite cool for the fans. It is quite cool. If you know, then you know, isn't it? Yeah. So, so they've got that there, and they've got that. Uh, so, so you can do that, and nobody else can buy an Apple T-shirt. Presumably, if you're an Apple employee or even a retail employee, you'll get your blue Apple T-shirt. But nobody else can do that. So, the, the the Apple store is in the main part of this Apple Park visitor center, and then on the left-hand wing, you've got Mac Cafe Mac, as it's called, where you can get your latte with a little Apple logo into it, and presumably more or less the same catering that the the, the Apple employees get, but much more expensive for, for, for right. the listeners cafe max was the cafe they had at infinite loop for employees yep. where exactly. steve jobs used to bill his lunch every day to his employee account but because he was only paid a dollar a year he was getting a free lunch he was never taken out of his paycheck whereas for other employees it would be taken out of your paycheck there you go i think you could give him a pass can you i, I completely uh, concur but it was just it, he apparently quite liked the story and he liked to buy lunch for other execs because He's like, and they'd be like, no, no, I'll get my lunch, Steve, and it's fine. He's like, no, no, I just like doing it because I don't know how it gets paid for. He just thought, he thought it was quite funny. Apparently, that's the story I've heard. It's a good story. I had a coffee in there anyway. And on the right-hand side, they've got like an AR area where they've built a stainless steel or aluminium model of Apple Park, which is a significantly large table. And there's an employee there who'll hand whoever comes in an iPad. There were about 15 or 18 iPads he was just handing out where you could use the AR mode and the camera to sort of disassemble Apple Park. So as you held the ca- the iPad screen up and you looked at it, the stainless steel model, it would come to life for the actual building in 3D sections. So you could flick the roof off things. You could see how many offices there were in one particular part or the doors came together. That's quite cool. It, it was extremely cool. And once you'd finished in that room, and like I say, there were, there were lots of school kids and it, it was busy. There's stairs behind that. You can go up and go up into the roof, which is a nice little seating area and you can view Apple Park itself or just enjoy the sunshine. So quite a special experience, really, i got to say. Is it as big as it looks? Because it just looks like something I couldn't comprehend. It just looks so big, the donut, basically. It just looks gargantuan. It's absolutely vast. It really is a huge, significant thing. And i got to say, it's hard to give an impression in a podcast of how much quality has gone into the design of the shop. You know, the, the doors were bespoke. The marble on the staircases going down into the toilets and things like that were incredible. The toilets themselves all touch free surfaces. You know, you get near the door, it just opens for you. Or you wave your hand over a pad to open a thing, so you don't need to touch anything after you've washed your hands. Oh, a little fantastic. detail... Yeah, a little detail that I'm sure very few people notice. They give away free sanitary products in the male and female bathrooms. So they're fully sticking on their, you know, their, any sort of transgender yeah. policies that are in place within it. But to give it away free to members of the public as well. Schools barely do that in this country. I was so impressed with, with the consideration for, for visitors coming to Apple Park. No, it's good. And my second question was going to be, my understanding is like the fit and finish and the design 
of the visitor centre is exactly the same as what they built Steve Jobs Theatre in or the, the you know the main Apple campus. So it sounds like a, an amazing building just to look at and appreciate. Even the visitor centre, I'm sure, is a building in itself that is an amazing piece of architecture, obviously on a much smaller scale. How many corporate offices do people actually make a pilgrimage to and there's a visitor centre to see a corporate office? Very few, I'd imagine. I was thinking this as was going is this is really sad. I mean, for we have a podcast about them. I've built a lot of my working life using making use of, of of Mac, so I've obviously quite embedded. The iPhone has been quite important to me. The original iMac was quite important to me. I don't think I own any other products where I would go and see the head office of that product. Now, I, so I'm, I'm just looking around my desk as you were talking. I was thinking, well, what have I got now? I've got a Nikon camera. A little interesting Nikon. Probably not rushing to Japan right now. Nothing against Japan, but I'd love to go, but it's a long, it's a long old way, quite expensive. I do like my nickel camera, but I've nowhere near got the, the fascination with it. I've got a bank screen like. I've got obviously an Apple display. I've got my iPhone. I've got an LG telly. Not that fussed about it. I've got a Sony PlayStation. I but I'm not that fussed about seeing any of their corporate culture. I don't know why. So it is weird that Apple's got this interest at all levels from the outside world. So the question in response is, would you, if you were in San Francisco, would you go? Oh yeah, 100%. I'd love to go. I wouldn't mind to see Infinite Loop, just for curiosity of what that's like. But I would love to see Apple Park, because I just think, even if it wasn't Apple that had that building, just the architecture of it, the style of it, I'd love to see all of that, because I, I love buildings and architecture, and I would just really enjoy seeing it. It's a shame in a way you can't walk around it or anything, and it would be nice, I guess, if the donut was... You could go maybe around the outside and just walk around it or something and enjoy the grounds because apparently they've got some fantastic grounds and all the trees and, and everything there and they've really landscaped it, which not a lot of companies do. Often you end up going to an office block it's just a concrete office block. But now I'd love just to see it. I generally would. And yeah, if I go to San Francisco, I would do, probably do exactly what you've done because why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? And, and on that note, there were employees and gates were opening, employees were coming out to go jogging and all that kind of stuff. And the thing that really made me smile was a couple of employees came over and obviously helped buy family members Macs with employee discount in the store while we were sat there. And I thought, yeah, that's a nice touch. I wonder what the employee discount is. I'd be interested in that. I got to think it's pretty good. While I was there, I watched, I think I, I messaged you about it. Somebody bought four AirPods Max boxes, you know, a girl came back at, down from upstairs with a stack of these things to give to these visitors. I watched two people buy top-of-the-line MacBook Pros, 16-inch M2 MacBook Pros, while they just drop them and sit in Cathy Max and start setting them up. That's some money. I mean, just those AirPod Maxes alone, which I've got in my head now, they're £550 a piece, so that's £2,000, give or take, and it's a two-and-a-half-year-old product, and everybody's waiting for the new one to come out. Yeah, and, and, and just an observation that America and Canada both. iPhone dominance is massive. It's it's not even close. Just for the average person on the street, they have an iPhone. Wow, okay, that is interesting. Because here it's it's not fifty fifty, but it's there's a lot more Android devices out in the wild. It's yeah. You notice them generally by where the cameras are positioned, I find. Yeah, definitely. iPhones were absolutely everywhere, you know, from the train to the airport where you're seeing everyday people, you know. Absolutely everywhere, and right across Canada as well. P possibly more in Canada, I'd say. I saw more iPhones in Canada than in America. Okay, it's quite interesting, isn't it? It, it was. I, and I look, like when I was in Barcelona, I looked, and Android vastly outnumbered iOS in, in Barcelona when I was there last time. So, I mean, I know it's the home, America particularly, San Francisco particularly, of Apple. But yeah, it was, it was stark how many more iPhones there were. Two other observations. San Francisco, 
when you go out of the more populated bits, looks like the zombie apocalypse apocalypse has happened. It's like in The Walking Dead. There's so many homeless people. They've got such a problem with that that it was, again, really quite stark between the haves and the have-nots. As a failing of somebody's social care system, it was really horrendous, frankly. Yeah, that's not good, is it? And I was watching the news last night. They were saying the same about London, the main shopping streets for the people sleeping on it at night. And again, you've got that big divide between people with and without. It's horrible, isn't it? Yeah. The other thing was on the drive back, we decided to go back a different way. It was quite sort of leafy and green the way we'd driven there. We went back up the other end of Silicon Valley on the way back. California traffic is really quite impressive commercial, i got to say. And drove past Mountain View, which is Google and drove past the Meta head offices and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Drove a, lo- a very long way along Stanford Medical Center, so Stanford University. They were building after building after building of Stanford Hospital related to that as well. So the amount of money just in that valley, which is obviously the tech industry are benefiting from and helped create, is really, you know, it, it, it smashes you in the face with how much of it there is. Google Cloud buildings, I think there must have been five or six Google Cloud buildings we drove by that, you know, all put all together, we're on the same sort of scale as Apple Park. Were you not tempted to go and have a look at Google or Meta or anybody? Not particularly. No. That's, it's, it's that weird thing, isn't it? Was there anything you were disappointed with at the visitor centre? I think you were like, oh, oh, I thought it would be better than that. I, I was a bit surprised when you park up, it says you've got 30 minutes parking. I don't think they enforce it, but it's like, why would you do that? Surely you want people to spend money. I guess there's some people just go there and work in the cafe all day or something. I don't, I don't know. The air conditioning was really good, I suppose. But, I mean, it was fairly average coffee. You know, you can go in the corner and get a better coffee in Starbucks. Yeah, true, I guess. But I don't know. Yeah, it's odd. I guess maybe they just don't want locals using it as a car park. I, I don't know. It's possible. So, no, I, the whole trip was worth it. I think from the hire car, from picking up the hire card to everything they went through, I'm, I'm really glad that I did it. And we did the other touristy things in San Francisco, San Francisco as well. You know, we went to Alcatraz. We went over the Golden Gate Bridge. You know, we did all that kind of stuff. Went to Fisherman's Wharf, the things you're meant to go and see. And it was the best thing on the trip. <laughs> okay. What's Fisherman's Wharf? Sorry, I don't know that one. So Fisherman's Wharf is, if you go the right time of year, it's where all the sea lions are so, uh, okay. and pelicans and things like that. Basically, as with all things American, it's a massive retail district now. And while there, I tried the famous In-N-Out Burger. So you always hear people talking about In-N-Out Burger. It's like the best burgers you can get in the world. It's a particularly California thing. I think they've got 250 plus locations in California. They don't move much when they did a pop-up store in London. It was mobbed. The queue was sort of round the, round the corner, round the corner, round the corner, sort of several, several, several blocks away. And it was a very average, slightly less greasy burger like you'd get in the Five Guys or something like that. So I was quite disappointed. I, I mean, that. I like a burger, but I wouldn't queue and queue for one. But I guess you've got to try these things when you're there because it's different, isn't it? And sometimes it's nice to hear about it. I remember when I went to New York, I was in a shop and saw a Twinkie. And I thought, I'm going to try a Twinkie because I remember the uh, the police officer having it in Die Hard. I thought, I, but do you know what I mean? That was just trying something. Even, I don't think I was that fussed by it either way, but it was just something that you've seen in a film and it's nice to try things you've heard about, I guess. It's what you do when you go. So two other things, just to finish on the tech thing. I bought a new bit of gear for packing my cables and things into it. It's called a side-by-side, link in the show notes, from Amazon. Quite pricey, it was $39.99. It's terrific. It's like a packing cube for your electronics, so from that point of view, it shouldn't be that sort of surprising for what it is. But the amount of things you can cram into it, and my voice may go as I sort of fish around in my rucksack to find it so I can show on camera to Chris how much it does, it does look quite cool so for those listening Rod is looking in, in his bag for this but if you look at the Amazon link it's a long thin pouch that 
I guess it's easy to explain. It's split into two sections, hence I guess the side-by-side -side name. You've got a bit on the left and a bit on the right, and you can pack in all your cables. You clearly take a lot more away with you than I do. So I'm just going to show this, and I'm just going to keep it in my bag from now on. So I'll try and do this for the camera for Chris. I've got a USB-C to USB-C, you know, monitor quality cable. So the one that will take power and video signal. It's long. It's about, it's a three meter one. So it that goes thick. in there easily. It's thick. There's a, a watch charging cable, USB-C. There's a lightning to USB-A cable. There's an HDMI cable. There's a, just an everything else, like a micro USB in case I need to plug that in. On the other side, there's a there's a pouch which I haven't used yet that you can use for other things. But if I flip that over, I've got a Roku TV. So if I want to plug in into any TVs and things while I'm there, I've got that. I've got a car USB charger for if I need to plug in a USB -A or USB C cable, and I've got a USB flash drive. So that's just on that side, and there's still space to grow in there. You know that that's not everything. And if I just quickly flip to the other pocket, and you'll you'll appreciate how tidy all that as well, Chris. You know, uh, it looks very neat camera. to be fair. If I flip to the other side, if I can find the right blooming zip, where am I? All right. In here, I've got a full dongle connector with HDMI, Ethernet, double HDMI, all that kind of stuff. And a remote control for the Roku. <laughs> and there's a there's a a MagSafe charger in there as well. So I can I can just bang my iPod, my iPhone on that and charge too. So it's a very, very tidy little device. And I found it quite revolutionary when traveling that I had everything to hand. I feel I don't take enough with me. In I take one USB, like one plug, but it's got a couple of USBs on it and then a USB-A port, charge for the iPad, charge for the phone, watch charger, done. I don't know, I always, I pack really super light. I always have done. I found it really helpful to be able to plug the iPad into the dongle I brought and I could put Taskmaster on all the hotel TVs. Yeah, I guess so. I just, normally if I'm away, I just use my iPad. Yeah, well, there were, you know, there was more than me watching TV, wasn't there? And we didn't want terrible American television where they're advertising drugs and things to you on a continuous basis. Yeah, and that's fair. I can understand that. Yeah, and Canadian television wasn't much better. After the news, they put on Coronation Street in Vancouver. Really? Yeah. I've not seen Coronation Street in a long time. So that was one thing, and very quickly it finished because we're going super long, is that I used the Aerolo app this time. So last time I travelled to America, I used the T-Mobile app. I had a second eSIM in my phone. worked okay. This time, everybody in the family tried it a little bit, so we had different SIM cards for Canada and America, so we'd have data when we were there. What a terrific service. For the sake of $18 for 5 gigs of data in both Canada and America on the two different SIM cards, the management, now I know what I'm doing with it. You know, I want voice calls to come in here. I want to use this as my primary or secondary data. It just works phenomenally well. And Aerolo themselves, if you click on the little app, it'll tell you how much data you've used in the SIM card if you need to top it up. You get the little indicator at the top to show you, you know, the fact I still had my UK SIM card active, obviously, that there was data available on that, what the signal was that that one had latched onto, that whatever the network had latched onto in America and Canada, flawless. That is good to know. It's nice when it when tech works. Absolutely flawed. Even even the rest of my family managed to use it, which isn't always a given. That's the bit that worries me the most. Yeah, but it was easy, I gotta say. Cool. That's it. Any questions about the epic trip? I wanna go. I think listen to you here talk about it. I'd love to see it. Like I say, even just to see the buildings I think would be cool. Just because I'd find the architecture interesting. But I'm a little yeah, little little jealous you've been. I need to plan a trip at some point. I'm also interesting going to Alcatraz and Golden Gate Bridge just because I've seen them in films. If anybody's ever seen The Rock, fantastic film. Very, very of its era. 
but yeah, we'd like to see all those things. I think there's there's quite a lot there, but like you, I think I probably would enjoy the traffic going into the Walking Dead if you if you stray too far, which I've heard about. So no, I'm, I'm glad you've had a good time. And I'm glad that Apple Park lived up to expectations because sometimes you go and see these things like, you, you know, you may be expecting more kind of thing. No, it was great. And then the blazing California Sunshine, it was nice. I'm going to finish on one other thought. The, the hire car in Canada was a Dodge Charger, which is a big American muscle car thing. What a terrible car. I mean, it was okay. Don't get me wrong. It, it, it got us around Canada, but it, they make an awful lot of noise and they don't go very quickly. But it had CarPlay, so that was nice. That's kind of my understanding is big noisy car, not actually that great to drive. The fun thing was getting hiring it at the airport of Vancouver Airport. We kind of came out with our paperwork, and there was just all these cars and in, in, in the lot, and they're all a size. They're a Toyota Camry, or they're a Dodge Charger, or they're a, you know whatever they are. And the woman just went, "What do you want?" Like she didn't care what I'd chosen for the with, agreed with the heart the heart car guy, and she went, and I went, "I don't know," and she goes, "Well, have that. It's a Dodge Charger. Take that. There's the keys." But I could have gone out of there with a Camry or whatever else. Mm-hmm. They don't care. Every time I rent a car, I always think, oh, what if I'm going to get a free upgrade? Or, you know, if, if it's one through work, they're going to send me something better. And I never get a good car. So, because sometimes, sometimes it's nice to try something different that you'd never opt for, I think. Absolutely. And, you know, having driven another Tesla, great. That was that was good at the time I needed it. And I'm glad I got to drive the Charger. It was, it was comfortable and it was a GT. It's meant for cruising. And we did one trip in Canada that was a longer drive than the length of Britain. You know, wow. with a tenor. Yeah, we did a 10-hour drive and we crossed that much of Canada and, you know, it's that was nothing. When you look at a map, it was nothing. But it was a very long drive. It was a very long day. It's a big old country. And were the people in Canada as nice as they were in Race Across the World? Yes. Vancouver, Vancouver Island. I'll, I'll list all the places I went. Vancouver, Vancouver Island. Whistler. Jasper. Banff. Calgary. Lovely people. Very friendly. Couldn't do more for you. Very contrasting. The only other place in Canada I've been to before was Toronto and Waterloo. Vancouver is fantastic. I'd actually, if I were ever a younger man, I'd consider moving to Vancouver. It really was a, a beautiful city with everything going for it. Wow. That's, that's quite an advert. Yeah. I do think Race Across the World did wonders for their tourism because the way it came across was just seemed a fantastic place. And what a beautiful place to be. It just looks mm. stunning. Yeah. I would, I'd like to go there too. So you, you've, done, you've done two places I wouldn't mind to go. Go. Go to Vancouver. Go to Vancouver Island. They're terrific places. And the Stanley Park, which you'll remember from the start of Ray Across the World, the two ladies who, I won't say that, that'd be a spoiler, who got lost in it for five hours. How they got lost in that park for five hours is beyond me. Yeah. Sometimes you do wonder, don't you? Fair you do. I guess you had a phone. Well, not just a phone, but I've got eyes. <laughs> and a sense of direction. And a vague sense of direction, and how they managed to get lost is beyond me. Anyway, that, that that's that. Just a useless fact. There's a the poet Rabbi Burns has a statue in Stanley Park for some reason. Why there's a Scottish poet in, in Stanley Park is is a bit odd. And the second thing is the bridge that connects Vancouver to North Vancouver was provided by the Guinness family. They got about the Guinness family. I did not know that. There you go. Useless information for you. I feel we've gone very long on my on my noodling about going away on trip. But uh, hopefully it was entertaining to someone if you have an ambition to go to any of these places. Well, well, I enjoyed it and I feel like I should quiz you more on Canada. Maybe do that next week. We can do that next week. Should we move on? Yes, we probably had because we need, we need to we need to call it a day. 
We do need to go today, so I'll be very quick. My app of the week this week is a thing called Amethyst that I've been using for a grand total of two days. While I was away, I was doing a lot of reading on different window managers. So your traditional window manager, which we've had on the Mac for a very long time, is floating windows. You can put one window in front of the other. You've got to manage it yourself. It's all a bit of hard work. Stage manager on the iPad tries to do something a little bit different where it's sort of exerting a little bit of control over what it is you can do. You can move them to a certain extent, but it is tiling them in some sense. This is tiling as was and sort of envisaged back in the, the very early days of computing where it decides where your windows should go and how big they should be and how much you want to see. And you have a certain amount of control with the keyboard to do that. Macs aren't good at this, but there's this app, Amethyst. There's another one called Yasai, where you can inflict tiled windows onto your Mac. I've been really impressed with Amethyst so far and the way I'm doing it. You've got, there's a little bit of management in your head for how it's going to control things and particularly at work when i've got lots and lots of screens you've got to figure out how it's going to do it but if you open up another window effectively the other windows resize themselves to make room for it if you want to have more space there's a keyboard shortcut to make it bigger and the others will resize themselves i've done all of tonight's podcast in it it's worked really well i've been very impressed with it it's handled lots and lots of windows it works well with it's not stage manager but spaces on the mac so you can have multiple spaces with tiled windows within them as well if you're at all interested in trying out a different sort of paradigm for working with your computer, I think it's worth a look. So, Amethyst. Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll take a look at that. Um, I know my brother who's just started using a Mac, his new role, they've used Rectangle, which is another way of arranging windows. And I think it was one of the apps that you've recommended quite recently. So it's been quite interesting talking to him, how he's converted from PC to a Mac, as he's finding it quite different, to say the least. Yeah, if you've come from Windows and you're used to the snap thing where you can snap them into the side and it'll take over half the screen of the bottom third or something like that, Mac doesn't have that as default and Rectangles gives you that. And this is just another way of managing that a little bit better where you, do, I, you don't always want to think about it and then you go off searching for that thing that's hidden behind another thing and unless you know the secret swipe gesture to get it quickly, like swipe down with three fingers on a trackpad to open up all the windows of that app, for example, which isn't, I think it's disabled by default actually these days, but you need to go and enable it. It's all a bit arcane and a lot of sort of, it's quite cognitively loading to sort of have to manage all that. So I'm trying to let this deal with it for me a little bit and just see if it gets, gets some of that clutter out of my way. I don't get why the iPad doesn't have this built in. You can only have four apps open. It should give you a way of tiling them for, you know, do, do all the quarters, tile them across, give me options when I've only got two, you know, side by side. There should be a button just to click to do it. It's, that would be ideal on the iPad, but I don't know why they've not done that. No, it makes no sense to me. They should. It, it would be a no-brainer. It should have been what they did last year rather than trying to be uber clever. Totally. And effectively, it did it anyway with a split view. When... Yeah, it's just, I find it very strange. Anyway, anyway it, Amethyst. Amethyst, that sounds good. Whilst I said I didn't play many games, my thing of the week actually is a retro game I was playing. I think I started playing it before you went away. I've carried on playing it. It's Commandos, Behind Enemy Lines. It's on Steam. It's a really old game. It's about 25 years old. I played it to death when it came out. I remember buying it and playing it with some friends of mine. It's all about World War Two and do, doing various missions. It's quite dated, but it still runs, still looks pretty good. And for me, just reliving some of my childhood. So I've actually have played about ten, halfway through that game in the last three weeks of my spare time. So that's something I've been enjoying. Very good. I think we can call that a show. I think so. So look, if anybody wants to get in contact, Rod is at g5maniac at masterdon.scott. I'm at underscore cjp at masterdon.social. Or you can drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rod. <laughs>